we are going to get right into the beginning of Luke. We're going to work in Luke 1, and we're going to be starting with John's birth being announced. So, verses 1 through 4 of chapter 1, the book of Luke. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught." So, we see in these verses, Luke is the only gospel author who stated his method and purpose for writing. He investigated the events of Jesus' life by interviewing eyewitnesses and others who had attempted to do the same. So, he did that for several reasons. First, to provide an orderly consecutive account. Second, to compile a list of the Old Testament prophecies that were fulfilled by Jesus. And thirdly, to give an exact truth. He investigated, and the books of Luke and Acts were his final products. It seems that his purpose was to further disciple a man named Theophilus, to give him the exact truth. Luke indicates that he was not an eyewitness himself, but a researcher. Theophilus is a name that means lover of God. An interesting possibility is that Luke meant his gospel for all who are lovers of God. While this is a thought-provoking option, it is better to suppose that there was a real individual to whom this gospel was directed. Verses 5 through 7. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous in the sight of God, walking blamelessly in all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both advanced in years. And why is this important? Luke <coughs> begins by making the time period of, the, of when these events occurred, the time when Herod was king of Judah. Um, it was a Herod. And I say a Herod because there were various Herods throughout the scriptures. Um, this Herod that it's talking about in these verses is Herod the Great, who ruled from approximately 37 to 4 BC. Um, Herod the Great was a tyrant. Uh, and this shows us an actual history that is being told in this book, an actual historical people, places, times, and occurrences. Um, here we see God communicating again with humanity after 400 years of silence. And so you can think of Malachi-ish being the last time God spoke to his people. And now something new is coming again. Uh, There are parallels between Zacharias and Mary, where an angel comes to each, gives them similar news, and they both react in the same way. Uh, One more note before we dive in. Uh, In the Gospels, Matthew and Luke are the two who write about Jesus' birth. While there are differences in the accounts, this is very important to remember, the differences do not mean contradictions. The two merely reported different things about Jesus' birth. We can easily bring the two accounts together and come out with one full account of his birth. Um, So during this time, there was a priest named Zacharias, 
his name means Jehovah has remembered or God has remembered who was married to Elizabeth. Both were descendants of Aaron. And so if you remember from the Old Testament in times of Exodus, Aaron was the one that was the high priest. They were upright or blameless couple and they obeyed God's commands. And with this lineage, his son or their son would have become a priest as well. But they had no child. Elizabeth was barren. The same word used for Sarah and Rebecca and Rachel in Genesis 11.30, 25.21, 29.31. .31. And she was old, which was the same word used for Sarah in 18.11. We see this language used for Zacharias and Elizabeth in the Old Testament births and promises. Verses 8 and 9. Now it happened that while he was performing his priestly service before God in the appointed order of his division, according to the custom of the priestly office, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So we see Zacharias' division of priests was on duty at the temple. Priests were divided into 24 divisions. We see that in 1 Chronicles 24, verses 7 to 18. And each division of priests was on duty twice a year for one week at a time. Zacharias was part of Abijah's division. We saw that in verse 5. Now, Zacharias was chosen by lot to offer the incense. Due to the large number of priests, this was possibly the only time in Zacharias' life that he would have the chance to offer incense. Even in something like casting lots, which is basically a game of chance, we see God's hand at work. God used lots of things to bring the perfect timing for a very important announcement. On a side note, the Bible does not encourage gambling at all. If anything, it condemns Luke 12, 15. But God can, of course, use chance to further his plans. Verses 10 through 11. And the whole multitude of the people were in prayer outside at the hour of the incense offering. And an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. So again, imagine 400 years of silence and God finally sends a messenger. Um, he sends an angel to Zacharias. He appeared as he was offering the incense, which symbolized the prayers of the nations. And it was the peak point of his service in the temple. The stage is set. Zacharias is visited by an angel. And we see what happens next. Okay, so we have Zacharias in the temple, and we get to verses 12 and 13. Zacharias was troubled when he saw the angel, and fear gripped him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your petition has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will give him the name John. Now Zacharias saw the angel and got scared. I'm pretty sure I would have too. In practically every encounter we have in the Bible between angels and humans, we see fear on the part of the human. Now, I like the way verse 12 puts it, fear gripped him. So the angel told Zacharias not to fear. Zacharias was praying for a son, and the angel had arrived to announce the birth of that son, who was to be named John. His prayer had been answered. More importantly, God had finally started the outpouring of his plan to save all of humanity from our sins. 
14 to 17. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he will drink no wine or liquor, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit while yet in his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the sons of Israel back to the Lord their God. It is he who will go as a forerunner before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children and the disobedient to the attitude of the righteous so as to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. The angel delineated many things for Zacharias. The parents would be joyful and glad and many would rejoice at John's birth. The Jewish people were finally receiving a word from God. John would be the forerunner to Christ. He would be the one that would announce the Messiah. He would be great in God's eyes. And he would be a Nazarite. A Nazarite were those who took a vow to separate themselves for God. They did not drink anything fermented, and you can see this in number six, and emphasized their message through dress, diet, and acts, as we will see when we do Matthew. John would be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. Many would turn back to the Lord because of John. He would be the forerunner for Jesus himself. He would announce his coming in the spirit of Elijah, as prophesied in Malachi 3.1 and 4.5-6. And this would restore many of the hearts of Israel back to the Lord. And that brings us to verses 18-20. through 20. Zacharias said to the angel, How will I know this for certain? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. The angel answered and said to him, I am Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you shall be silent and unable to speak until the day when these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their proper time. Zacharias wanted a sign. An angel appearing was somehow not quite enough, so his and his wife's age was too much of a factor in his mind. The angel gave Zacharias the, um, his name, Gabriel, and said that his message was from God. Since Zacharias wanted a sign, he was made mute until the baby was born. This was a punishment because of his unbelief, but it was also a sign to verify the truth of what had just happened. 21 to 23. The people were waiting for Zacharias and were wondering at his delay in the temple. But when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them and remained mute. When the days of his priestly service were ended, he went back home. He finally came out of the temple to waiting people, and they were waiting for his benediction to them. And you can see the benediction in Numbers 6, 22 to 27. That's just a norm that priests did. Uh, with some hand signals from Zacharias, because remember, he's mute, the people realized that he had seen a vision and that he was mute. He could no longer speak. After his time in the temple, he went back home. Verses 24 to 25. After these days, Elizabeth, his wife, became pregnant, and she kept herself in seclusion for five months, saying, This is the way the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked with favor upon me to take away my disgrace among men. So we see Elizabeth became pregnant and remained in seclusion for five months 
probably due to the excitement of the people around her. Elizabeth was overjoyed at the prospect of having a son. Finally, her shame would be removed. In that time, having a son was very important. You were thought to be cursed if you were unable to have children. So, we begin the book of Luke with much excitement and anticipation. There's a child to be born, and he would be the forerunner to the Messiah of the world. Something to think about with this passage is that God knew the precise time to begin the torrent of events leading to the world's salvation. He is in complete control of all things. Why do we worry so when we have this knowledge? Perhaps we are more like Zacharias than we think. We know in our heads that God is faithful, but we do not let that affect our daily lives. When God is faithful, we're shocked, and when it seems He is not, we fear and complain. We need to fully trust God, not an easy task, but a necessary one. Let your head knowledge permeate into your heart. Chapter 1, verses 26 to 27. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city in Galilee called Nazareth. To a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of the descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. In the sixth month, this is talking of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent his messenger Gabriel to a woman in a small town of Nazareth. This woman was a virgin, she had not yet had sex, and she was engaged to Joseph, who was a descendant of David, which was a necessary lineage for the Messiah. Mary was normal. She was a sinner just like you and me. She would be privileged to be a part of the special event that would be unique, which was bringing the Messiah. In Jewish culture, there was a time of betrothal before the actual consummation of the marriage. Uh, their engagements were much stronger than ours today. To be engaged in that time was to basically be considered husband and wife, except that they did not live together until the wedding. In fact, to break an engagement required a divorce. Go. Yeah. So in verses 28 through 31, we read, And coming in, he said to her, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was very perplexed at this statement and kept pondering what kind of salutation this was. The angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall name him Jesus. So we see Gabriel came to the place where Mary was and mentioned that she was highly favored. She had found favor with God, and he would bestow on her an enormous honor. She would have a son. And just as with Zacharias being given the name of John for his son, Gabriel told Mary this child's name would be Jesus, which appropriately means Jehovah is salvation. Now notice, there is no mention of her personal piety. She had simply been chosen. 32 to 33. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom will have no end. The angel Gabriel describes this child in a great manner. His description focuses on the child alone. Mary would simply be a privileged vessel. 
this child would be great. He would be the son of the Most High. This is saying that Jesus would be God incarnate, equal with God. The term son of was used to convey equality with the Father. If God coming down to earth was not enough, Jesus would obtain the throne of David. This is still to come. Um, Psalm 89, 3-4 mentions it. Uh, he would fulfill <coughs> prophecies that were given to David. And you can see these in 2 Samuel 7, 13-16 and verse 19. He would reign over Israel forever. This would be the great Messiah that had been prophesied about all throughout Scripture. The one that was spoken of since the dawn of humanity, since Genesis 3.15. Verses 34 to 38. Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you, and for that reason the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. And behold, even your relative Elizabeth has also conceived a son in her old age, and she who was called barren is now in her sixth month. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, the bondslave of the Lord, may it be done to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Mary did not seem surprised at the prophecy coming to pass, but rather as to how she would be pregnant while still a virgin. It is interesting to note that the angel did not rebuke Mary. It seems Mary did not doubt, but was simply curious. The answer was basically that the Holy Spirit would bring it to pass. Now, something to think about is that some try to label the virgin conception a myth copied from other contemporary legends. The enormous problem with this is that there are no myths out there that match the account. This is singular in history. God used a unique way to bring salvation to the world so it would stand out as his work. This child, conceived without human seed, was perfect. Jesus was not created. He became human to further his own glory through his sacrifice to save us. Jesus did not start to exist when he was conceived in Mary. He was God before that, as he is now. This resonates with Isaiah 9-6, which says, A child is born, but a son is given. He did not inherit uh, Adam's sinful nature because Adam's seed was not attached to this conception, we see in 1 John 3.5. But Jesus was still fully human. Fully God and fully human in one being. Wow. As further signaled to Mary, the angel told her of Elizabeth's conception in her old age, despite her barren womb. This too was a miracle from God. Mary accepted this gift from God humbly, even calling herself God's servant. She was willing that God do whatever he wanted. This is in contrast to Zacharias, who needed a sign and was full of doubt. I've often wondered if that maybe had something to do with why God chose her, because she was humble and willing to honor God and glorify him rather than to take anything for herself. Could definitely be. Verses 39 to 45. Now at this time, Mary arose and went in a hurry to the hill country, to a city of Judah, 
and entered the house of Zacharias and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she cried out with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And how has it happened to me that the mother of my Lord would come to see me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what had been spoken to her by the Lord. After hearing the message the angel gave her, Mary left to go be with Elizabeth. As Mary arrived, the baby inside Elizabeth, John, leaped for joy. So baby John inside the womb was moved in such a way that Luke gives the mental picture of the baby jumping for joy inside the womb. Elizabeth was filled with the, with the Holy Spirit at that moment, and she spoke to Mary. She called Mary blessed among women. Mary would be the most honored of all women because she was allowed to carry Jesus in her womb, not because of anything she did. Notice the emphasis is the mother of my Lord, not on the mother herself. She would be the earthly mother of the Messiah, the Lord. Lord is the word Kyrios in Greek. It means Christ or Messiah. And even Elizabeth acknowledged that the Messiah had arrived on earth. Verses 46 to 47. And Mary said, My soul exalts the Lord, and my spirit has rejoiced in God my Savior. So we see here Mary's exaltation of God for her privilege. This section is affectionately called the Magnificat. Mary wanted to praise the Lord for what, for what he had done. She praised her Messiah and Savior. This is a clear indication that Mary was not holy as many believe her to be. She was in need of a Savior as much as you or I or anyone else. 48 to 55. For he has had regard for the humble state of his bond slave. For behold, from this time on, all generations will count me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation toward those who fear him. He has done mightal, mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who were proud in the thoughts of their heart. He has brought down rulers from their thrones and has exalted those who were humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent away the rich empty-handed. He has given help to Israel, his servant, in remembrance of his mercy, as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and his descendants forever. She thanked the Lord for allowing someone of her status, a humble servant, to be used in this manner. She would be called blessed, and indeed she was. The Lord had done great things, and she was not ashamed to sing about it. Psalm 126, 2-3 is, is intertwined within this section. God had been faithful to the generations that loved Him and feared Him, just as He promised in Deuteronomy 5, 10, and 7, 9. She considered herself part of the remnant that God had reserved for Himself. God had been faithful with Israel, even when they had been unfaithful to Him. God had previously scattered proud Israel as a punishment, but now one was coming that would fulfill all the promises made to their ancestors. God would still keep his promise 
and use Israel to bring about the salvation of the world. Yeah, so verse 56. And Mary stayed with her about three months and then returned to her home. So it seems like Mary stayed with Elizabeth until John was born. If you remember, Elizabeth was six months pregnant when Mary first arrived. So uh, another thing to think about here, and we think about why is this even important, is we see here the extraordinary way that God chose to bring Jesus into the world. God chose a miracle to distinguish even the type of birth the Messiah would have. This would be no normal birth, but God himself coming to be a man to save all those of his own. When you read this, are you like Zacharias or like Mary? Do you believe because of how faithful God has been? Or do you doubt God's greatness and goodness because of your skepticism? Where does your heart stand? This applies to life because we will react to life depending on our understanding of this truth. Those that believe in Christ respond with hope in a hopeless situation, with peace in chaos, with love in trials. How? Well, because we have a living hope, Christ. He has won our salvation and secured our eternal home. Everything in this world is simply temporary. That is an incredible and awesome truth. Where are you? Verses 57 to 66. Now the time had come for Elizabeth to give birth, and she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and her relatives heard that the Lord had displayed his great mercy towards her, and they were rejoicing with her. And it happened that on the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to call him Zacharias, after his father. But his mother answered and said, No, indeed, but he shall be called John. And they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by that name. And they made signs to his father as to what he wanted him called. And he asked for a tablet and wrote as follows, His name is John. And they were all astonished. And at once his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed. And he began to speak in praise of God. Fear came on all those living around them, and all these matters were being talked about in all the hill country of Judea. All who heard them kept them in mind, saying, What then will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was certainly with him. John's birth was shared with joy, as they were about to circumcise him on the eighth day, as was a normal Israelite custom. Zacharias and Elizabeth obeyed the Lord, even amidst the trial of pleasing others. The typical name given to a male child was that of his father, so that he could continue the family lineage. But God was starting something new. The boy was named John, which Zacharias confirmed in writing. When this was done, Zacharias regained his speech and praised the Lord. Remember, he had lost his ability to speak way when the angel announced John's birth, John's coming. This amazed not only those surrounding him, but all those that heard of the incident in the surrounding communities. Something new was coming. Yeah, it's pretty exciting. So we see in verses 67 through 75, And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited us and accomplished redemption for his people, and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David his servant, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old. 
salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy toward our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to Abraham our father to grant us that we, being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. So we see in these verses that Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he prophesied. This section is called the Benedictus. Zacharias praised the Lord for his faithfulness to Israel. The beginning of redemption had come through the seed of David as promised in Mary's womb. And that you can see that in Benedictus, it's kind of like a blessing, um, benediction would be kind of like a blessing or like a praise kind of idea. And so that would probably be why it's called the Benedictus. So redemption means to be set free for a price. It often refers to the freeing of a slave or releasing of a prisoner. Salvation for Israel and the world and freedom from sin and death is in Jesus. God would fulfill his covenant to Abraham and Israel through Christ. Jesus would be the horn of salvation. Remember, John is not from the house of David, but Jesus is. And a horn usually symbolizes power and victory in scripture. You can see in Psalm 89, 17 and verse 24. There's a picture of an army about to be taken over, but then help arrives and the enemy is defeated. The enemy could not capture more prisoners, a total victory for God. The Savior would be strong enough to free his people. He would save us for himself so we could serve him in holiness. With this, we would be free from our enemies for all of eternity. It would be the beginning of a new day for us, one of light, life, and peace. Verses 76 to 79. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give to his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, with which the sunrise from on high will visit us, to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Zacharias describes the ministry of his son. It seems he understood the message from the angel had given him, He foretold that John would complete the work of the forerunner, the person that would be before the Messiah, prophesied in Malachi 3.1 and in Isaiah 43. He would be a prophet like no other. John would tell all of their sins and call them to repent and accept God's forgiveness. He would prepare the hearts of many for the coming salvation of the Messiah. This is not a political salvation, but a spiritual one a change of standing before God. The sunrise here that shines through the darkness returns the focus to the Savior who will bring the light in the darkness of death and light to guide our ways to his glorious ways. Let's look at verse 80. And the child continued to grow and to become strong in spirit, and he lived in the desert until the day of his public appearance to Israel. We see in this verse that John grew and became strong in spirit, so much so that he decided to live in the desert alone. I imagine you'd have to be pretty strong to want to go live in the desert alone. (laughs) Interestingly, John did not follow in his father's footsteps. He could have gone into the priesthood. Instead, he chose the desert. 
In the desert, he would learn from the scriptures and from God. He would live there until the Holy Spirit would lead John out to introduce the Messiah. In both of these scenarios, it would have been easier for John and Zacharias to succumb to the pressure of their peers and do what was expected. Instead, they both chose to obey God and his word. So what's something important for us here to take away? It is so easy to be saturated with a fear of people. This can be seen even in children. We allow the television to spout its extremely low standards and the music to play its sordid morals. We strive to look this way, act like that, and have those things. But God's word calls us to have God's morals, to obedience to him, to true, deep joy, not shallow, vapid pleasure. Eternal satisfaction is found only in our desire and search for God himself, seeking out his smile above all things. Remember what our purpose in being created is. To see if this is a problem in your life, I have a suggestion. Try to cut off just one worldly influence for a month. Maybe cut off Netflix or podcasts or social media, and instead use that time to focus on God and His Word. If your insides turn at the thought of having to cut one of these off for a month, it may be a clear sign that that pastime has a grip on your heart. Give it a shot. See God change your heart from the inside out. So we see, so far, God had sent his forerunner, John, and God's plan is fully in motion.